O God, in whose spirit is perfect freedom, may the words of my mouth and the words of may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Welcome this morning to Homiletics 101. Uh, For those of you who are new to this class, homiletics is the fancy seminary term for preaching class, and every would-be preacher must go through it. Speaking of new folks, we have today someone who is giving his very first sermon. How brave. He's Jewish, uh, an itinerant preacher named Jesus You'll find part of this sermon, he calls it the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in your bulletins today that was just read. Uh, The rest of it can be found in chapter 5 of Matthew. Last week we heard his introduction, Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, weak, meek, persecuted, righteous mourners. This one, some of his ideas about the law. And next week is going to be a doozy, so hang on. Cutting off hands that cause harm and plucking out eyeballs that make you lust and the possibility of burning in hell for every divorcee. A little uncomfortable. And we are here in homiletics to offer some constructive feedback to the author. Jesus, you ready? First of all, Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but a point about the lack of humor here. It's a good idea (coughs) when you're writing a sermon to say something personal, throw in a joke. People like humor. It really works to help some of those more difficult things go in. Now, parts of your sermon, though, are actually funny. I'm not certain you're doing it intentionally because your voice sounds awfully serious in the transcript. But blessed are the meek, the poor in spirit, the sad. Those are the attributes of the people God calls blessed. Have you ever had a job, Jesus? I'm just saying, if you want to be a professional, oh, anything, leave those traits off your resume. And if your goal is professional ministry, well, Preachers are polished, bold, erudite, strong, successful. Image is everything. So just a tip, make sure you get yourself some trendy glasses, maybe some cool shoes, a wife and two kids. It's what people connect to, you know? Along those lines, I'm not exactly clear uh, where you're going with these blessings, People are going to take this one of two ways. One, thinking that they are these people who are uh, blessed, and they will languish in their own self-satisfaction of this uh, perceived blessedness of their own. Uh, Or they'll see some darker truth. They are not persecuted for for righteousness' sake. They are not weak. They are not poor in spirit or otherwise. Weakness and poorness is something we work to eradicate. 
your people who follow you will see that they're not included in this list, described in the kingdom, and despair will set in. They'll find someone else to tell them that blessed are the successful, for their success will mean richer churches. Blessed are those with walls, for they will never have to confront the poor stranger. In our time, Jesus, blessed are the straight talkers. No matter if what they say incites hatred and enmity against their fellow man, maybe especially if it does. You tell us to pray for your enemies, and I don't know if you've watched the news lately, but there was the act of prayer was desecrated last week as a chance to criticize and mock enemies. I know it's unthinkable, but where is the outcry of the faithful? The truth is, the more bombastic, the higher the ratings. And yet you, you seem to be saying the whole time that these who are blessed, these people of the kingdom, are small, outnumbered. That's your imagery. They are a teaspoon of salt to flavor the entire dough. A light that shines, small and resilient, in a land full of darkness. You're using passive metaphors here. Maybe you could kick up the imagery a little. You are the floodlight of the world, shining into people's eyes and imposing your light, demanding to be heard, blinding them to any notion of mystery or darkness, right? Just a suggestion. Go with it. But let's talk about how this sermon might be a little dangerous to your reputation. It explodes the status quo. The values of the land and government you live under. Security is what Caesar promises. And it is only by taking your light and putting it under a basket that you keep that light safe. Is having an inner private spirituality really so bad? People feel safe under Rome, Jesus. And you're going to offend no matter how you've veiled your critique of the powers that be. And maybe that's the real problem with this sermon. I don't get the feeling like you're actually trying to attract followers or console anyone. Your hyperbole is downright shocking. You say that you're not coming to abolish the law, which is bad enough because people expect a grace that doesn't demand anything of their time or effort or loving their unlovable neighbor. But you say you want to keep the law, and that you're going to keep every bit of it, and that keeping it is, in fact, impossibly hard, Possi- imp- more than we can ever imagine. Chop off your arm if it causes you to sin, put out your eyes if you've looked with desire on anyone, pray for those who have harmed you and turn the other cheek, you're an adulterer if you've been divorced, and not only that, but that these things, if you do them, are not only going to get you some, are not are no longer going to get you some punishment before a council, but they're now putting you in danger of the eternal fire and hell burning. You can't be serious, can you? Is that is that the point? 
in your very first sermon? Are you blowing out of the water the idea that the word of God could ever be taken literally? Clever. Are you employing this precisely to move us out of our self-satisfaction through some type of despair and finally to the other side where you wanted us all along directing us outward. It would mean that those of us who are strong and bold and able and joyful actually need the grace that can only be found in our neighbors. It would mean that the frightened, weak, neurotic places of ourselves so carefully concealed or not are where you are found, where you will bless. It would mean that we must look beyond our own comfortable, constructed communities to the place where God dwells, for the people where God's blessing resides. If we are the light of the world, it would mean that we need our neighbor's light to go into the darknesses of our human existence because one person's dim beam can only illuminate so much. If we are the salt of the earth, where would we find our replenishment other than in those around us who are also called salt at the common table? If this were, in fact, about the world beyond us, it would mean that our actions of violence and lust and acquisition and greed have reverberating consequences beyond our own personal judgment before God that they affect our neighbors here and now. And that it would be better to lose a part of ourselves to than to cause our neighbor to be pushed outside the bounds of communion. It would be better to put ourselves into the wilderness than to reject anyone seeking sanctuary. I guess it's like we need each other. Well, this isn't how I expected this to go, Jesus. Do you have any uh, response for the critique? And he looked and asked, not ungently, what sort of seminary do you go to where you don't have to memorize Isaiah? Look right here in your bulletin. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. Amen.